escape disappointment can't avoid the delay but i don't have to make feeling down and defeated the place that i stay gonna rise through the moment gonna speak to the ways gonna push back the doubt that keeps dragging me down when i can't find a way don't need to see it i saw you chapter 1 in the church's Bible on page 1294. Romans chapter 1, page 1294. So an announcement for next week, we will not have services on Friday or Sunday, 
So Friday the 24th or Sunday the 26th. So pray that y'all will worship the Lord next weekend, but we will not corporately gather for worship. A few places for us to pray for. Um, we want to continue to pray for Ava, for Ryan and Kathy, excuse me, Ryan and Brooke Beam's uh, daughter. Um, the Lord has done some amazing things and she is eating more, but we want to pray for the Lord to continue to help her and that uh, Ryan and Brooke would see the Lord's hand in this child's life. And also for, uh, for Alani, Daniel and Amanda's daughter, uh, she has a fever this morning and want to just pray that the Lord would bring healing to that, that sweet child. Um, and work in the lives of these children. So our scripture this morning is from Romans chapter 1. And uh, one of my favorite scriptures, but one that continues, I think, to, um, the Lord continues to open up my understanding to what it means. It's a great coffee mug verse, and it's one that we've studied as we've studied here in Romans. But I pray that the Lord will uh, show us some new things this morning. So we'll read Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. We just sang this really powerful song about having faith. And if we understand this faith out of context, it reduces the gospel to simply believing and making God what we want him to be. But that is not who Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that he is not ashamed of the entire gospel that requires the sacrificial death of Jesus for our sins, that requires us to accept all of him to receive any of him. Um, we read here that, 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 that we cannot be ashamed and make another gospel. And I believe that we read this, and it's so easy for us to ignore what we may do to manipulate and twist God's word for our purpose, but we cannot twist or manipulate otherwise we are ashamed of the truth of God it says that that there is suppression of God's word and I believe that what we are to see through this is is not that we we pack down the truth not that we ignore it but that we rebel against what we have received this is the power of God to salvation that the Lord has revealed things to each and every one of us and that we would trust in what the Lord has shown us and be saved for his purpose and his name. I believe we're going to hear more about this great salvation today as we continue studying in Romans, but I pray that this would be where we would begin, that we would not be ashamed of the things the Lord has revealed to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, that is the fulfillment of things prophesied and understood in the Old Testament as you walked with your people, as you delivered them out of sin for your purpose. Lord, I pray that, that you would deliver each and every one of us in a new way today, that as we follow your voice, as we receive your word and your truth, Lord, that, that this word, this gospel would be made alive in each and every one of us. 
for salvation for your purpose. In Jesus' name.
Good morning. Well, we are continuing in the book of Romans. We've been here for several weeks, and Paul has uh, lots of great teachings for us every week. So if you'll turn with me to page 1303, we'll be in Romans 10. Page 1303, Romans 10. Last week we started the first part of 10, and I just want to look at a couple of things that God reminded us and and taught us last week that we can uh, begin to pull together and then lead into what he has for us today. So last week, the place that I want to probably bring out, let me look right here. So it's it's in verse 8, and it's talking about, Paul is talking about this place of righteousness, which is right standing before God, that leads us into salvation, eternal life with him. And uh, he he helps us to understand in verse 8, he says, you know, that the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And so Paul was telling us you don't have to send somebody up into the heavenlies to bring this word down to you. You don't have to go down deep into the abyss that it might be brought up to you. But rather it is a word that's very near to your mouth and very close in your heart. And um, and that's verse 8. And then he helps us to understand what this word looks like in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth... And we remember we talked about this place of confessing. It's not just a place that our mouth confesses, but our life confesses as well. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that he is master, that he's Lord over your life, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In this place of believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth are these places that change um, who you are. And, And he makes a new creation. Verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And God helps us to understand this plan of um, righteousness and how he has made mankind righteous before him and brings us into this place of eternal salvation. In verse 12, he told us that there's no distinction between Jews and Greeks. So he has used the children of Israel as a uh, teaching and, and a place that he's chosen them to walk in his ways that they might be the light unto the world. But his heart has always been that he would bring the Jew and the Greek together under the same calling. And uh, so today we're going to start in verse 13 and work through. And um, God has kind of been working with me for a few days on 
the last part of 10. And then this morning as I got up to study, he changed and kind of moved me into 11. And so we're going to quickly go through 10 and then go into the things I believe he's wanting us to see in chapter 11. But this is so important that we start in verse 13 because it's going to set the backdrop for what he's going to take us to in chapter 11. Verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, whoever. So God is saying, this is my plan. This is my grace. When we think about that uh, we are saved by grace, this is defining what that grace is right here. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's his plan of salvation. And he starts out and he says, whoever. And, and that is such a, uh, a great understanding because he is laying that before the whole world. And yet it has an individual calling. So it's for the whole world, but for each one in, that, in the world, in that all place. So it's a, a picture for the world but calling each one of us individually to this place. And then he says, calls. This is a place of crying out, an appeal. Calling out to the, on the name of the Lord. Understanding that he is master. That no longer you reign in your life, but he is master over your life. And you are making that declaration, you are proclaiming this place, you are confessing exactly what he was telling us in verse 9, that Jesus is Lord of your life. And, and God is saying, in that place you will be saved. Now verse 14, when Paul makes this great statement in 13, then he recognizes that there are going to be people who um, have questions and uh, considerations against what he is saying. And so he explains some of this a little further. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe in him of whom they shall not have heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent and so Paul is knowing that people are going to have all these questions about how this is going to all happen and he's he's going to answer that for us so he, he is basically saying that they are going to be sent out God is going to send out people who will bring the word. But I want to tell you this word preacher right here is really not translated um, best as preacher. It's better translated as preaching or as one that would proclaim the message of a king. And it's the understanding of what was called a herald, uh, one that would run back from battle. Sometimes they were called runners. Sometimes they were called the heralds. And they would be at the battlefields and they needed to get a word back to the people in the towns. And so they would run back with the good news of how the battle is going. 
And so this understanding is really that kind of understanding. It's not that God is uh, sending out preachers and preachers only, and I want you to hear that, but he's calling all of us to be a part of this understanding of being the ones that herald, that are bringing, that are proclaiming the message of the king. And so God has set up not only in what we saw in 13 as his plan for salvation, but he is continuing to help us to understand, Paul is saying, of his plan of how this message would get out to everyone. And he says, God is sending them out. And they are going to proclaim the message of the king. And when they proclaim this, people will hear this. But then they'll have a choice to believe. And if they have this choice to believe, then they have an opportunity to call out on the name of the Lord. It's part of God's plan. It's part of his grace. And Paul writes that uh, in Isaiah that it was written and prophesied long before this would happen, that this would happen. And it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who herald, who bring this and proclaim this gospel of peace, who bringing glad tidings of good things. So God is saying, uh, um, Paul is saying here that God is using each messenger, each one who has come and truly confessed their life and made Jesus Lord of their life, that they will also be a part of this understanding to bring the news to everyone that God puts you in front of. Your life should reflect that. Your words should reflect that. Your message should be this place of proclaiming. But verse 16 says, but they, and he's talking about the, the Israelites and the, and the Jewish people, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So in this same place that uh, these understandings of that this word would go out, Paul is saying, but they're not going to all believe. And Isaiah even prophesied that as well. They won't all believe. And we certainly see that today. However, there, there is a remnant, and Paul is going to help us to understand that, that did believe. And we saw it over and over as God, as a, I'm sorry, as Jesus went about teaching and many would come to understand and it says throughout the New Testament, many would believe. But there was a large number who even though they heard, even though it had been preached to them, even though they had an opportunity to call out, they would not obey and receive this word of the gospel. Verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? So Paul is saying, yes, 
that faith comes by the hearing of, of, the, of this word that is preached. But he says, but they did hear, and yet they did not all receive. And he said, yes, indeed, their sounds have gone out to all the earth. In other words, it's been proclaimed through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provide, I'm sorry, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So he's saying here, Paul is writing back and forth about a conversation that he might have with the questions as he writes this to the church in Rome. And he says, they didn't all believe, even though they heard, even though the word went out to the whole world. He said, they did not choose to believe. And he says, but Israel was warned about this. They should have known. They should have been aware of these things and how it was going to be and what God's plan would be from this point. And it says in verse 19 that he wrote back in Deuteronomy that Moses wrote, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. I want us to look at Deuteronomy 32. Let me see if I can give you that scripture uh, or that page number. No. I didn't write it down. How about, it's around 236, so let's try. How about 240? Let's start in verse 19. Moses is uh, giving these words to the children of Israel right before they go into the promised land. And in verse 19 it says, And when the Lord saw it, he spurred them. I'm sorry, he spurned them because of the uh, well, provocative, I can't even read today. Yes, provocation of his sons and daughters, and he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation, I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. So when we read this that Paul is writing here, they would have understood exactly what Paul was referring to. And what he is referring to is that God had said to Moses, you tell them that these things are happening and that they have provoked me to jealousy by other idols. By worshiping other idols, and he is angry. And because of that, he will provoke them to jealousy. Isaiah tells us a very similar 
place in uh, Isaiah 65. He said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So in both places, he's talking about a nation that was not a nation, a people that were not his people. But they found him. He's talking about the Gentiles. And he says, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. People that were resisting God. People that were opposed to him. People that were worshiping idols. People that were going their own way, that doing their own things. And, and, and it says, but to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hand. All day long. He said, you've been doing these things. You've been uh, worshiping other idols. You've been going your own way. And yet all day long I keep stretching out my hands to you. And you are a disobedient and contrary people that would not believe. This is a place that he is helping us to understand that the children did not, he just said this over here in verse um, 16, he said they would not all obey the gospel. So he's talking about these that would not come in alignment with God's ways and God's truths. And he says, you know, you've, you've done these things and I am going to use a people to provoke you to jealousy, for you to want the good things that I have done for you. And he said, all day long I have stretched out my hands. Verse 11, verse 1 says, I say then, has God cast away his people? So many people as he's writing these things, even today would say, so God has cast away the Jewish people and his plan of his chosen people, that that's all done away with, that he's cast it away. But Paul answers that. And they base this on the fact that they would not come in alignment with God's truths. But God, through Paul, writes right here, I say then, has God cast away his people? And Paul writes with an exclamation point, certainly not. Absolutely not. He's saying that is absurd. For also I am an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pled with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I am alone left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. What God is saying is, is that yes, they are not all receiving my purpose and my plan, but there is a remnant 
and there always has been. And Paul is taking it all the way back to the days of Elijah. And he's saying, even here, where Israel was gone away from the things of God and they had joined up in the darkness and uh, Jezebel was killing the prophets of God. And Elijah is out there and he's saying, you know, what's the use? What's the use? I might as well just die with them. And God says, no, no, no. I have saved a remnant. There are 7,000. And we know that number seven means completeness of his purpose. He's saying there's always been a remnant. And he said that is according to the election of grace. Now this election, as we've talked about, again, doesn't mean that he said, okay, I'm going to pick this one and I'm going to pick that one. But he knows that the better word here would be selection. He knows the group that is going to select him, who is going to choose him. This better understanding is a place of their choosing, and God knows this, and, and it is because of his plan of grace. And it says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it, it is of works. It is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear. And to this very day, I'm sorry, and ears to not hear to this very day, and David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a repentance to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And bow down their back always. The thing about when I started reading this this morning and I could see what God was trying to help me to understand is that over here in verse 16 where we were reading and it said that they would not obey the gospel they wouldn't bow the knee and I, he began to talk to me and he said you know what is it that kept them from bowing the knee from surrendering to God's plan to receiving his grace to being a part of the remnant that would be saved. But what kept the rest of them from being a part? And the Lord said to me, he said, you know, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. And yet they knew the scripture and they knew all of the prophecies that had been given. So they knew all about God. They even knew all about a Messiah that would be coming. But what they didn't understand drove them into unbelief. How it looked a little different than how they thought it was going to be. 
So I want you to hear that because that is what I felt like God was wanting us to hear today is that what they did not understand drove them to unbelief. Now, all of my years in studying um, and, and growing up, I've always heard that, and, and there is truth in this, but I want you to hear there's, the truth has been twisted a little bit, is that the Jewish people, that they were blinded that God might bring the Gentiles in. And God did know that it would be that way. But that's not the heart of the Father. And once again, we have to see that that is not how it plays out right here. I want you to look at this verse 7, and it says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks? I mean, it was seeking after the Messiah, but it was going to look different in their eyes. But the elect... The chosen, the remnant, have obtained it. And the rest were blinded. I want you to understand that that word blinded is not the best translation for us to understand what's going on here. But the word is hardened. The word is better understood as hardened. In other words, they weren't surrendered to be molded by the potter. So therefore, they were hardened. Much like Pharaoh, that God has raised him up. And God would use him in the position that he was in. But it was his choice whether he would follow in the ways of the Lord and bow the knee or whether he would harden his heart. And as he hardened his heart, then God strengthened that hardening to align with what he desired. I want to submit to you that that's what is going on right here. That it was not God's idea that because of I, I want to bring the Gentiles in, that I'm going to make you all blind, that I'm going to put you in a stupor. This means a deep sleep where you just are, you know, clueless about what's going on. That's not the heart of the Father. But what he is saying is because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief that came from a place that they would not be molded into God's purpose and plan. They had their own ideas and their own ways. Then God hardened their hearts and blinded them. In a way that
that is strengthening their own position, their own desires of their heart. Paul talks about it over in uh, Galatians. Uh, no, uh, yeah, in Galatians, and he says he turns them over to the lust of their, the desires of their heart, to the lust and the sins that their hearts are desiring. This is exactly what's going on, and we see throughout the Bible over and over and over again how the, how God does that. If we will not bend the knee to what He is doing in our life and allow Him to mold us into the creation that He desires for us to be, because He is the Potter, then He will harden our hearts in the places where we have determined that we want to be. I want to Turn to page 212 in Deuteronomy 8. And I want to begin to read, starting in um, verse 7. No, um, let's start in verse 10. Listen to what God is through Moses speaking to the children of Israel. It says, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through great and terrible through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where you had where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do, to do, I'm sorry, he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. Then it shall be 
if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you to this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. What I saw is that the children of Israel, they had seen, oh my goodness, they had seen the mighty hand of the Lord. He had delivered them out of Egypt. He had brought them through this wilderness, testing them to show them who he was and who they were. And he provided manna and he provided water and he destroyed their enemies. And they all knew who he was. But when they came to a place, and it, it talks about that they had their fine homes and their fine houses were built. And uh, let's see. And they had eaten, it's in verse 12, it says, Lest when you have eaten and are full, and you have built, built beautiful homes and dwell in them, and you have great flocks and great herds, and everything is kind of going okay. Do you forget who God is? Do you forget what he's done for you? Do you look to your own self to be the one who has made things happen? You see, I believe along the lines, they had gotten their eyes off of who God was and his purpose in creating them a nation that he would call his own. And they had gotten their eyes upon themselves to be the chosen people. And in this place, unbelief crept in. They no longer had faith in God's purpose and his ways because their faith was in who they are. And God is saying, I, I'm a jealous God. I won't allow you to continue in this way. I will harden your heart in the very place that you've chosen to be. I want to turn back to Romans 10 and 11, page 1304. I thought this was a very strong word and a very strong understanding because I could see that there's a remnant that did hold on to God. 
that did want the things of God, that wanted him to be glorified for his name's sake. They no longer lifted themselves up, but they were in alignment with God's commandments and his statues and his ways. And then there was the group that chose another way, another direction, and it's exactly where it says, but the elect have obtained it, those that were in the remnant, but the rest were blinded, were hardened. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, of sleep, of deep sleep. They're just sleeping through. They don't even have a clue what's going on around them. Eyes that they should not see. So they have eyes, but they can't see spiritually. And ears that they should not hear. They go and they hear the word, but they don't believe. They don't see. They don't hear. And to this very day, I wondered how many of us are in this place that we get lulled to sleep. That we get our eyes off of God and we get our eyes on ourselves. That we forget the things he's done for us. That somehow we assume that we've provided for ourselves, and yet we don't honor him in all the places that he's provided. I asked the Lord how to not fall into this place. And he, he was saying, you know, you can even be going to church. You can be reading in your Bible. You can be doing all the things that would seem right. That's exactly where the children of Israel were, and that's exactly where the Jewish people were. They were doing all the things right. In fact, they were trying to do so many things right that they had created laws upon top of the laws that God had to try to make their own righteousness rather than submitting to the righteousness of God and making Jesus master, Lord. That's where the stumbling block was, is that at this point in time, Many would not receive Jesus as master, as Lord. He, he gave me a scripture right before I walked out the door. It's 2 Timothy. It's on page 1366. In its verse 6 and 7, 
page 1366. 2 Timothy. Verse 6. It says, therefore, Paul is writing this to Timothy, by the way. It says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I, I was trying to understand what God was saying to me, and I think I hear it more clearly even now than what I did this morning. Is Paul is saying to Timothy, as you go on this journey that God has called you to, and you have come to this place of walking with him, just as the children of Israel did, called to walk with God, and they were for a minute, but then they got drawn away. I think Paul is saying, I want to remind you to store up, I'm sorry, to stir up the gift of God. This is not talking about spiritual gifts. This is talking about this gift of God. This gift of God that comes through his grace. That through faith, you can receive the very gift of God, his plan of salvation through Jesus. And in that place, receiving the Holy Spirit that will lead you and guide you into the place, not of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I thought, what does it look like to stir up this gift of God? I really felt like what God was saying is you can't sit around on your laurels. <laughs> You've got to be a messenger You've got to be a, a tool that God is using that you cannot just relax. You become asleep. But Paul started out and he's saying, you know, each one of us is called into this place of proclaiming who he is, confessing with our mouth, believing in our heart in a way that it changes each moment of our lives and each part of our lives and each situation is controlled by him. That the Holy Spirit would be stirred up in us. That we might thirst and desire to be a part of the fullness of the plan that God has for my life and for your life, for his glory. That we might not have our eyes on ourselves, but on his purpose. Stand with me, please.
Yeah.